0: So I was a chaplain at university until about a year ago and nearly a year since I came to preach for Fitzroy and um, when I was at university a three week series was about as much as you got and I've been in Mark for eight months and you get to the last one and you do it on August the 31st and most of the blighters are away somewhere on holiday so I've led us all to this point And I know that they'll all be glued to the downloads tomorrow To find out how the story ended We're going to read from Mark 16 Going to be thinking about that in a moment or two And I'm only going to read verses 1 to 8 Because it seems that only verses 1 to 8 were written by Mark You might disagree and we do that in Fitzroy quite often But uh, in the commentaries I've read this week, I'm going with that. We'll talk a bit about that uh, a little bit later on. But let me read Mark's Gospel, our final reading of it, uh, in this particular series, chapter 16 and verse 1. After the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of Jesus and Salome, bought spices to go and anoint the body of Jesus. Very early on Sunday morning at sunrise they went to the tomb. On the way they said to one another, Who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance to the tomb? It was a very large stone. Then they looked up and saw that the stone had already been rolled back. So they entered the tomb, where they saw a young man sitting on the right wearing a white robe, and they were alarmed. Don't be alarmed, he said. I know you're looking for Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He's not here he has been raised. Look, here is the place where they put him. Now go and give this message to his disciples, including Peter. He is going to Galilee ahead of you. There you will see him just as he told you. So they went out and ran from the tomb, distressed and terrified. They said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. Amen. We pray that God will lead us into an understanding his word. When I was a chaplain, um, my students realized that there were themes or words or ideas or illustrations I come back to again and again. You know, they were only there for two years, so I figured in the third year I could repeat the process, and some of them were there for three years and four years, and they had this sort of... uh, they did a bingo card thing where they put down all these phrases I might use. I'm looking at one now who was there for about 10 years. Only kidding, Ryan, only kidding. And so, um, so every now and again they would tick them off and I was always you know, aware they might shout bingo at any time during the, the talk because I'd uh, met all five of their things that I was going to say in a talk. And I may have done this, it's me coming to say, apologies, I might have said this before. But I love the DeLorean car in Back to the Future just watched the whole three with our children recently and they're good movies. There's a lot of issues in them but they're good movies. Um, And so that DeLorean car that I used to go past every Friday afternoon when I was going home from university as they were all sitting there waiting for all those buyers that they were going to be um, uh, out round in Murray somewhere. the The DeLorean built in Belfast an iconic image on Back to the Future. And so every now and again, as I come to biblical passages, I like to get into the DeLorean, bring the door down, and just put a date on the front of the screen. Put the whatever it is, gigawatts, in the rear, and head into another time. And so this morning, if we could do that, and we arrive just on that first Easter Sunday morning, out over the hill from the tomb, and we scramble up there with Michael J. Fox and the nutty professor to see what's going on. And we would find these women. Now, before I went away, I told you, never depend on a man at times like this, at least in Mark's gospel. The women were there at the cross. The women were the ones who didn't go and hide. And the women are the ones that we're going to watch right now running through the finishing tape. Because if he is dead... If there is no resurrection, as they were thinking, although they weren't even thinking in terms <coughs> of resurrection. And all the rest are away crying their lugs out that they give three years of their life and it all field, All the way hiding from the security forces in the town or the Roman army or Pharisees or whoever they were hiding from. The woman, as soon as it was sunrise, straight after Sabbath, as soon as they could do it, they were out there and they were going to anoint the body of Jesus whether their dream was over or not, whether he'd let them down or not. But they came wondering, I mean, here we are, the men are all hidden somewhere. How are we going to move this stone? Because we're told it's a big stone. And they get there and the stone's rolled away, which must have thrown them again. They've just watched the one that they literally loved, that they followed, that they'd given up everything for. Dying on a cross, they come to see his body, and the stone's rolled away, and they must be thinking somebody's even tampering with his body. What must that be like? And then they peer in and they find somebody talking to them, saying, You're looking for Jesus, he's not here. He's risen. And of course, those words that come across in the gospel all the time, it's wonderful in the reading this morning, don't be afraid. So they left terrified. You know, tell a shepherd in a field, when a group of angels comes to sing to them, don't be afraid. It's easy enough if you're an angel, but if you're a poor wee shepherd, it's pretty frightening. So all this stuff has been going on, there's been crucifixions, there's bodies disappearing, and these women are just going to not be afraid at all? Well, they head off believing and beginning to see again all these things that Jesus had said about his body, Having to suffer and being raised to life again Suddenly these truths are beginning to spin around their head And they're beginning to revision it But it's still frightening It's still incredibly scary If we could get her DeLorean back there That's what we might see When did the realization hit? You think it's all over You think the dream's gone You think Jesus is finished What are you going to do? Are you going to skulk back to Galilee and say, well, we followed a tattered dream of... When did they realize? My mic off again. Let's go with this. I don't seem to be walking about much. Now, I might later, but I'm not seeming to be at the minute. I'm all right. When did they realize? When did realization hit? And what did that do for them as they headed off to finish... The story. Some of the commentators have been very careful to see that they had to re-look at the story. They had to look again for the body. The body wasn't there. They had to re-see it. They had to reimagine it. They had to revision it. And what they did was what we've been trying to do on this journey through Mark. How we started this off was at Christmas time we said we're not taking the fastest route to the cross to hang around the cross. We're going to take a road on a journey with Jesus, watching all the things that he did, all the things that got him kneeled to that cross. We're going to watch them. We're going to follow him. And then we're going to come to the cross and we're going to go right through the cross and outside the empty tomb and into what would happen next. That's the journey that we've been on. It's a reimagining of the world. And for the disciples unlike us, for the woman who went that morning unlike us, they had to reimagine. We've grown up with resurrection as part of our language, as part of our imagining since we were very small. They were coming at it for the first time. Could he be raised? Is it possible? Is this the story? They had to rethink it. To those who look again, one commentator said, the great stone of impediment has been removed. For those who look again, As we look at the world that we live in, it might seem a bit like the disciples thought on that Good Friday. But for those who look again, for those who see something under and above and between the lines of the story of life, there's something else happening that is transcendent, that is beyond us, that can change everything. Ched Myers, who I've um, used extensively in the two books that he's written about this, uh, Say to This Mountain and Binding the Strong Man, he says this about um, these lines. He says, To those who look again, the great stone of impediment has been removed. But how? Neither by human muscle, nor technology, nor any Promethean scheme. The verb here expresses the perfect tense and the passive voice, the grammar of divine action. The stone has been ruled away by an ulterior leverage, by a force from beyond the bounds of the story and history, with a power to regenerate both. This intervention comes from the outside, the constraints of natural or civic law and order, from the one who is unobliged to the state and its cosmologies, radically free yet bound in passion to us. Nothing we can do could move this stone. By grace, it has already been rolled away for us. We need only to have eyes to see it. Like the woman. See it again. Look again. Realize that the great stones of impediment have been removed. And we need to consider that. Individually. In whatever's going on in our own lives. And as a Fellowship. What are those stones of impediment that would stop us from living in the power of resurrection? This, to quote Brian Houston, who quotes many other people, I think, in the line, this is the end of the beginning, not the beginning of the end. As we come to resurrection... And uh, the cross is over. Jesus is raised to life. Then he'll meet in the other gospels they tell us with the disciples. And he will be set at the right hand of the Father. This is not the end of Jesus' story. This is the end of the beginning of Jesus' story that we are continuing even 2,000 years later. Another of my bingo card stories. Diggory in The Magician's Nephew. You know the one where they get into Narnia not by the wardrobe, but by magic rings? I think it's the first, chronologically. And Diggory and, what's her name? Who? Polly. Fitzroy, you love it. Let's do it together. Siggory and Polly have got themselves into Narnia and C.S. I have to say gets a rather sexist boy at this point because the girl is all scared C.S. should actually have read the passion accounts and it would have been the opposite way around here the girl's scared she wants to go back into the shuch Balamina word, you get it C.S. Lewis didn't use it but there it is that's how they come out of a shuch with these magic rings spell shuch, that'll keep you going don't think about it at the end of the sermon please she wants to go back because it's scary in this new world. And Diggory says, Diggory says, and you'll hear me say endlessly, what is the point of finding magic rings that take us into a whole new world if we don't explore that new world when we get there? What is the point of Jesus being born? What is the point of Jesus living this life? What is the point of Jesus dying on a cross? What is the point of the stone rolled away if we don't explore the world that he's opened up for us? When we get there. And sometimes. We hide. Around the cross. We take a route from Bethlehem to Calvary. And we just hide around the cross. And we languish there. And we think this is great. But let's not go any further. Because it's scary out there. And all the time you've got to be saying. What's the point of Jesus doing all this. If we're not going to go out there. And deal with this kingdom. Once he's opened it up. For us. We have a dodgy ending. And many commentators are quite scathing about the ending that's at it. Whatever most of them agree that the words from 9 on really aren't the words of Mark. They don't fit with how Mark's written the rest of the gospel. They don't fit with the themes of Mark. Nobody that I read, and maybe there are some that would defend it, I'm sure there are, would suggest that these in any way were the words of Mark at the end of his gospel. Tom Wright thinks maybe and many others that somebody accidentally ripped out the back page, as happens sometimes in books or parchments or whatever else. But for some reason, this is where the gospel ends in Mark's words. And some of them are scathing about the domesticity of the other verses that go on there, and some bizarre things like charming snakes, which doesn't seem to come out of nowhere at the end of Mark's gospel. That these are not the words of Mark, certainly. And they're saying, well, it would be great to know how Mark ended it. Surely Mark would have taken us to some of those stories that we hear in the other Gospels where Jesus went back to Galilee and met with Peter and all of that. And yet part of me is saying, right, that's very possible, but I don't know whether that's possible or not. What would happen if it ended here? There's something about this ending that I quite like. I've been thinking about it for a wee while. Do you know those, I don't want to be critical on a personal level here, but I've done it as well You know those sermons that you go to hear And let's say we go to hear a sermon about How to evangelise Muslims And the person that's speaking Everybody they ever met Within three minutes of them meeting them They became Christians And you want to go Tell us the three Horror stories Or a, Acquaintance or friend, I would call him. He might not call me if you met him today. Shane Claiborne, who wrote a brilliant book called Irresistible Revolution. It's a really inspiring book, and I know that some of you have read it, and it's inspired us all for social justice in our local area. I would encourage you all to read it. But the thing when I was reading Shane's book was Shane, tell me your disaster stories. It can't always work every time you go to a Republican conference and take off your jumper and there's verses all over your t shirt. Sometime it must have gone wrong, sometimes it must have been a mess. And you know what? I got to share a seminar with Shane at Greenbelt a few years ago. I did the theology, which is dodgy enough. He did the practical stuff. And you know what? You see in the question time, in the question time, Sheehan started to talk about the mess and how it didn't always work out right. And I thought, put it in the book. You know why? Because when I do what Shane does and it goes wrong, I want to know that it went wrong for Shane once. And as I read through Mark's gospel, I'll tell you, it frightens me. It frightens me because it challenges my prejudice. It tells me to rethink it all, and I don't want to rethink it all because I had it thought and everything was nice and comfortable. And I'm frightened about the possibility of coming out at the end of this gospel and going through the cross and the resurrection. And you know what frightens me more? It frightens me more that I'm doing it with this kind of fellowship of people because we are unable people. We are a gifted people. And if we don't make some impact in the power of this resurrection, then I'm going to be frightened of that failure. And so I am thrilled that verse 8 ends. Don't be afraid, girls. Don't be afraid. It's all right. Jesus risen. Sure. And they go away petrified. Because there's times when I am petrified even about what I strongly believe. So what are some of those things that frighten us? Well, what have we gathered as we've gone through this journey? So we've taken the road rather than the fast route. So we took the coast road to Ballycastle rather than the motorway. As we sat with Jesus on the journey, what were some of the things? I'm only going to talk about two of them today, and we might pick some of them up over the course of the next number of weeks as I move into a different kind of series that I'll talk to you about in a moment. One of the things that seems clear to me is this cost of discipleship. And when you read the commentaries on Mark, it's always goes back down to discipleship. The story of discipleship. The challenge of discipleship. Mark is trying to tell us how we can follow Jesus. And it seems to me as we get to this point where Jesus is crucified and then raised to life, that there's a certain secret that comes to us in our spiritual lives and in the life of our service. And that is this. I think this is maybe Chad Myers again, but I foolishly in my notes during the series didn't put it in and I couldn't get through all the commentaries last night to find it. There's a, here's a secret that I've picked up on the journey. Every economic problem would be solved if people lived for what they could do for others and not for what they can get for themselves. Every political problem would be solved if human ambition was only to serve the state and not to enhance individual prestige. The divisions and disputes which tear the church asunder would for would for the most part never occur if the only desire of its office bearers and its members were to serve it without caring what position they occupied. When Jesus spoke of the supreme greatness and value of the one whose ambition was to be a servant, he laid down one of the greatest practical truths in the world. This life, this cross, this resurrection were not for my self-indulgent salvation. They were for my self-sacrificial salvation. And the secret there is, if we look again, like the woman had to look again, if we look again, we realize that it's not in our self-indulgence that we find ourselves satisfied. When we self-sacrifice, and we serve others, we find deep-rooted spiritual Satisfaction. That's what the gospel's telling us. If we serve instead of want to be served, we will find the truth of our own spiritual journeys and how to make an impact in the world. But secondly and lastly for today, the other thing I picked up in this story as we come down the journey and we we go through... (laughs) I was trying to get an illustration for this going through the cross and out the resurrection. And really, car wash isn't suitable, is it? But it's something like that. You go in one way and you come out the other way more able. I guess another way would to do it, and there are many... We were having some fun, some Fitzrovians or Fitzers this summer about what might happen in Fitzroy if a handle fell off a door. We'd uh, probably have to wait a wee while to get the handle... To fall off the door, but can I assure you that if you, uh, if something happens to you physically just now and you feel unwell, what would happen to you very quickly is a few GPS would arrive in the scene, they would make sure everything was all right for you as you, as you, as you are there, then a few consultants would appear from behind them. Um, The communion table would immediately uh, turn into somewhere where we could do an operation. And you would be pretty sure that if something goes wrong with you physically just now, you would walk out the church probably in better shape than you walked in. So is the number of medical practitioners around us just now. And maybe that's an illustration. When we go in to the theatre for an operation, we go in apprehensive. We go in a little frightened, but we go in with the hope that as we go in there, that what happens to us means that when we're wheeled out the other end of that theatre, that we will be better than when we came in. And so we come on the journey of Jesus and we go through that journey with him. And when that stone was rolled away, we are more able as the church of Jesus to serve him than ever we have been able to do. The question is, how and where do we do it? I really enjoyed the special assembly. But there was moments when, if I'm really honest, sorry, the special assembly, um, the Presbyterian church went up to the north coast. Not all of us. Um, But uh, we had an assembly that was not about business, where we argue with each other. It was about learning from God together. And we had seminars and workshops and worship and me and speakers. And there was a few occasions when I thought the speaker just touched the door open. And I was going, go on, go on, get through that door. Come on, really, break a bit of delf here. And then David Bruce got up and he slammed open two or three doors. And he broke so much delf that I got lacerated in my feet trying to tiptoe out the tent after it. And one of the things that he said that I thought was really powerful in our journey as a, a, a fellowship in Fitzroy. Was this historical idea that Presbyterians... When we came to Ireland, we came in as that plantation from most of us, Ulster Scots, Scotland. And we came in, and it seems that a few centuries ago, what would have happened when we came in is that we would have got our wee farm just outside Ballymena, and um, best land, that's why the Catholics are all down there on the stony ground around the glens and the mountains. Let's push them off, and we'll get our own little farm up there on the, on the Antrim plateaus, and, um, and we'll put a big fence or wall around it and we'll protect whatever is inside. David called that the bone. Now, I'm not sure I've asked some Irish speakers and they're saying bon doesn't come from the Irish, it's maybe an Ulster Scots word, certainly not in the dictionary, but there's all kinds of bonds and place names around Northern Ireland as far as I can remember and think, B-A-W-N I think. But the Bone was that place where we would be protecting ourselves from the dangerous people outside. We were overprotective. We lived within our walls. We defended our walls. Even some of us had cities that the walls are still there that we can go up and watch how we defended. And David was using this 400 years later as maybe how Protestantism and Presbyterianism still go about their business. We live within the bond. We want to protect our own children within the bond. But we're not sure we want to go out of the bond Because that will become messy It will become difficult Maybe we'll meet people who might Write on the door of the toilets Frightening of all frightening I always think, you know, Jesus three years into his ministry And one of his best disciples is Chopping off people's ears And some committees in our churches are worried Because some kid scrapes his name on the toilet door There's a different perspective On what's dangerous, isn't there? But we're self-protecting Within the bond And what David was saying, and I thought he challenged as well, he showed us in maps how Presbyterianism has moved over the last 50 to 60 to 100 years northeast. And he said to us as a church, we would be in a much stronger position if we'd intentionally moved southwest. Now, we can't do that now. But what we have in Fitzroy, and this is where we start next week's series, we're looking at who we are in order to find out who we are so that we might reach out to this community around about us that last week we prayed about to our left the university in front of us the commerce of the, the main drag into the city center and to our right the holy lands lower ormo and all the social problems that that are we need to be a church that comes through the cross and resurrection and gets out of our bond so this week Elma had me on a little committee, the South Belfast Health Partnership and well-being, catchy little title that I have never got right, but it was there and it was good to be there. And I was sitting beside Henry Muhammad and Henry was talking to me about a church he had gone to see in England that was doing amazing things in their community. And he was encouraging me that the possibilities for church and community are immense now because he said, in a throwaway, he said, because you've had a habit, haven't you, of just circling the wagons. I thought the bond, circling the wagons, protecting ourselves. Here's an image that even the community has of us 400 years later. And then I read um, in Leith, I'm not sure what his first name is, Caroline gave me a commentary on Mark at the start of this series uh, by a Scottish guy. And he writes this. That Mark's gospel is traveling out to break down the man-made barriers which exclude and condemn. It ill behoves any church seeking to follow Mark's Jesus to settle behind secure stockade protected by doctrinal razor wire. It ill behoves a church of Christ who have read about Mark's Jesus to settle behind secure stockade protected by doctrinal Razor wire. The challenge of the resurrection, the challenge of Jesus' life, as we've been listening to for the last two Sundays here, is that Israel was not there for their own protection. They were there to be a light to the nations. And that we as a church are not here for our own protection. We're here to be a light to the district around about us. And my challenge over this next year is going to be if we close down, who notices? And make sure that we build a church in this area that if we closed down, they would feel it was catastrophic and they would run after us and say, please, don't move away because we need you because the impact you're meeting in our community, you're making in our community, please don't go. That's where we're starting. Some of us have done the Tear Fund Discovery Course. You'll hear more about it over the course of the next two weeks. We've talked about it a little bit in the past. And the first step in the tier fund discovery course of making an impact in your local area is to find out and celebrate who you are. So for the next number of weeks in our sermons, we're going to find out who are we? What is our identity? And where in that identity is the strength that we have to break out of the bond and to make good news out of the bad news that's all around us in this area? We're going to be in the area. To find out what the needs are, we're going to be seeking how we can make an impression into that area. And for those of you in Fitzroy, as we've come this week and the past week to look at our worship, as we've come to look at outreach, as we've come to look at youth work, as I'm meeting with those groups of people who are planning the year, can I tell you something? Don't get disconcerted with it. But I'm not thinking of Fitzroy people as we think worship, I'm not thinking Fitzroy people as we think outreach. I'm thinking the people who come in and visit us, who come in from nowhere, no faith at all. And I want the worship. I want the welcome at the door. I want everything that we do to be geared to what they might see of Christ in the way we go about. You know, we put up with things. If I preached a poor sermon here, and I've preached many, I'm sure, in the year, you would put up with it but I don't want to put up with it because it might be the only week that somebody walks in from the Holy Lands and I want them in that week to find something of God through us that might show them that what these women saw is a reality and that the impediment stones in their lives might be shifted and we might somehow break into the way they see the world with another way to see the world the way the woman had to see the tomb differently let's pray together our God we all go out from the bone now to the streets we live in to the families we belong to to the places of work, tomorrow or Tuesday if we have a bank holiday, back into schools and universities and law courts and industry, storefront, hospitals, GP practices, shops, streets. And we pray, Lord, that we live our lives not for our own self-indulgence, but self-sacrificially for those who we're going to meet this week. Because as we serve others, we will find deep spiritual satisfaction in our own lives. And then we pray for ourselves as a fellowship, looking at the area around about us. How many know we're here? How many know that if we are here, what we're about? And how many lives have we impacted for you? Forgive us if we've protected within the bone. Strengthen us, Lord, within the bone. But in order to open the gates and to go out into the community around about us, to make bad news good news. And to bring your kingdom and your will on the streets of South Belfast as they're in heaven. Lord, inspire us, encourage us, challenge us to be salt and light in this area. In Christ's name. Amen.